0: This is Better Benefits, a podcast from the team at Brella Insurance. We're talking about how to use employee benefits to build a world where health hardships don't create financial burdens. If you're a broker or employer looking for fresh ideas and new products employees will actually use, this shows for you. Cave, Director of Marketing, and I'm here with our Chief Revenue Officer, Mike Cirillo, for Better Benefits episode number two, where we're talking about what it really takes to build a health benefits strategy that works for employees. Mike, how are you doing today?
1: Laura, I'm good. It is great to be back with you for episode two. It was a lot of fun uh, yeah. kicking off our podcast last time, and I'm I'm really excited about today's discussion and guests. How are you doing?
0: Doing great. I agree. Excited to keep this going. So, Mike, you've been in the industry for quite a while. I'm wondering if you can talk about what some of the issues are that employers are facing with respect to health and benefits.
1: Yeah, great question. You know, and I think it starts with the obvious one, and and that's the financial pressure that rising healthcare costs have for both employers and employees. And, And I think employers are desperately trying to find ways to better navigate those challenges. But I also think that today's Labor demographics are ever-changing and fast-changing, and today's employee diversity, whether it be generational or family situation or incomes or lifestyles, makes for a far more complicated view of benefits uh, for employers as they serve those diverse needs and that wide-ranging workforce population. So how do employers better engage those employees? And that's even magnified more today in our current state with, with covid And I think lastly, what comes to mind for me is that administration has become incredibly complex for employers and you know, benefit offerings and the products and services that are being managed are as broad as ever. And add on top of that, regulations and compliance as those continue to change at a pretty rapid rate. And employers have a lot on their plate.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like we need a lot more than just ways to manage costs. We need products that work really well together. We need products that are easier to administer, and we need things that are easy for our employees to understand and appreciate and and that reflect the diversity of today's
1: employee landscape yeah, absolutely, and I think that's well said and 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 well summarized and i and I think it's a great way to set up our discussion and and our guest for today. We're thrilled to welcome Beth Bierbauer to the Better Benefits podcast. Beth is the former segment president at Humana, and we're lucky enough that she's one of our current board members. And I had the honor of meeting Beth back, I think it was in March or so, for the first time and was really immediately impressed with not only her experience and perspective sort of looking back, um, but but more so her view of the benefit space looking forward. So we're lucky to have uh, Beth on the team, and Beth, welcome.
2: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
1: Well, we're glad to have you. So what are you up to these days? And if you wouldn't mind sharing, what made you want to get involved with Brella?
2: Sure. Um, So I retired last year from corporate America at the end of December, but knew that I really wanted to spend a lot of time closer to the customer and working with startups. So that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm working with a good number of startups, helping them look at their business model, their value propositions, and uh, also serving on a few boards. One of them is Brella. And then for fun, I started a podcast because when I was at Humana, I really like to spend time with our associates working with them on career development and professional development. And I thought, hmm, how am I going to do that when I retire? And then I said, hmm, I'm going to do a podcast and let's see what happens. And so it's doing pretty well. It's called B-Time. And I had the opportunity to really interview five-star leaders from Within the industry and out, and some of them are from really large, well-known organizations, and some of them are from well-known and not so well-known startups. So that's what I'm doing with most of my time, and I do serve on the board of Broa. And I met Beer years and years ago when he was in the employee benefits space, and I uh, really thought he was a good strategic thinker. I liked how he took a view of the landscape, if you will, and how he thought about things. So he called me one day and we just started talking and he was telling me about this concept and we kept talking and kept talking. So when he said, hey, I'd really like you to come on board uh, and be one of our board members, I was all in really happy and excited to do so.
0: That's awesome. I love that you are so focused on sharing your wisdom and and cultivating these conversations that can help people grow. And we're definitely gonna be talking about that a little later in the episode. Um, but first, I want to ask you to sort of set the stage for us and help us understand what some of the structural barriers are that have created this situation of rising health benefit costs and, and why does this seem to get more and more expensive every year?
2: Sure. It's a great question. Well, there are a number of issues that, that drive medical costs up year after year. First thing is we're in a really unusual dynamic. In most transactions, you have a buyer and a purchaser, and that's it. There isn't a third party in the middle. With healthcare, there's a third party in the middle. The employer, typically, or the federal government or state government is the purchaser of the health insurance. The consumer, the patient, may use uh, some services and pay for a portion of the services, but they're not footing the whole bill. And so, uh, for a long, long time, a large portion of what an employer, for example, was paying was really sheltered from the consumer. And so there really wasn't as much thought that went into um, services. Now, that's not the case. Obviously, when you're sick, you're sick. But oftentimes, there were you know, some pretty high expectations of, of, of people. So number one, not having that two-sided marketplace is, is an issue. Second thing is, we're in an industry where if I do something, I get paid. And I don't have to prove that that something is of value. If I do a test, I get paid. For the most part, and for many, many years, nobody was questioning that test. And it could be that I was doing that test because I had that equipment in my office, not necessarily because somebody needed that. So the fact that that providers are paid on a fee-for-service basis and not paid for value, in any other transaction, again, if you get a product or service, you're looking for value. And if somebody didn't provide that value to you, you moved on to somebody else. And there was usually a tangible way of seeing value. And that always doesn't happen in healthcare. Another thing that I would tell you that's a, a problem is that providers often have a tendency to utilize because of frivolous lawsuits. You now we as patients come into their offices and we expect something. We want a pill, we want a test. We don't want to be told to go home and wait it out or it's growing pains or it's just a little bit of old age. We really want something, and because of the lawsuits and because of demands from consumers, often providers will you know, they'll give out a script for an antibiotic when maybe really an antibiotic isn't isn't needed. And then the last thing I would say is really it's lifestyle and engagement. We cover preventive services, but that's what they are—they're preventive tests. That's all they are—they're screening tests. They are not preventing the disease. They allow us to catch a disease early. And I think as many of us know, it's our sedentary lifestyle, it's our fast food lifestyle, high fat, high sugar content that most of us are dealing with on a daily basis that really leads to obesity and diabetes and all these other issues that are are out there, smoking that can lead to lung cancer and, and other things like that. And it's hard because we've all been living these lifestyles for a long time to then really get your employees to change their their habits. So getting that employee engagement to improve their lifestyles is really, really hard. So it's a number of things. And when it comes together, you can imagine why our healthcare costs are about 18% of the gross domestic product. It's a huge expenditure.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, you did such a good job of explaining how all of those things are layered together. There are market dynamics, there are lifestyle dynamics, there are all driving this cost
1: higher and higher. Yeah. I also think sort of this concept of the two-sided marketplace was really well put, right. I've really sort of thought of it in that, in that, uh, in that way, but, but I think it does create an interesting lens, right. That, that we all uh, you know need to be looking through.
0: Yeah. The person who's making the decision, you know, being attached atta- from the person who's receiving the service really creates a situation where you're not able to hold people's feet to the fire and, and uh, that's always important for for competition to do its job. So I guess I'm wondering, what do you see out there that gives you hope that things can change?
2: Uh, a couple things. Um, number one, I really do have a lot of faith in consumers. I was listening to another podcast just the other day. I heard the guests talk about consumers and, and um, the, the host made a reference, something like, well... What do you do? This is complicated. And, you know, someone may not be smart enough. And the guest said, well, ho- hold on a second. Consumers are smart. They don't have to have an Ivy League degree. People are living their lives and, and, and they're not stupid. And boy, I just was so excited to hear that individual say that because I do think consumers are smart. And the challenge that we have is that we haven't been able to be transparent, number one, around pricing. So they don't know how mm-hmm. much things cost. Our language isn't transparent in, in healthcare. We talk about A1Cs and ESRD, and we use a lot of these acronyms. And you know, if it's foreign to you, you're going, okay, no, wait a minute. What does this really, really mean? So I, I think one of the powerful things that we can do to change is really work with consumers to meet them where they are and to bring them into the fold and not sit there and say, Hey, I'm the provider. I know what's going on. You just follow my orders. No, you've got to bring them in bold. You really have to be able to understand, you know, what's their why for being healthy because most people don't get up in the morning and say, "Hey, I want to be as healthy as I can be today." They get up in the morning and I say, "You know what? My grandkids are coming over and I'm going to be able to get down on the floor and play with them and then get back up by myself." <laughs> so I think really getting the consumer engaged is is really important. And then the second thing is and I'm all about free free markets, but Lately, the, the government, this current administration, has issued some executive orders and, and made some changes that I think will actually be good. There's just one on interoperability as an example where now patients actually own their data. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but if, if you move from one city to another, like I've done several times, you go to your private care doctor's office and they say, well, this is going to be $25 for me to stand over the coffee machine and copy these medical records and send out, and you're like, oh, you've got to be kidding me, right? So the fact mm-hmm. that they're pushing for you to have your own data, they're creating interoperability. And so systems have to talk. So that means when you go to your primary care physician and she has information that she wants to transfer to the specialist, but when you get to the specialist, she or he can pick that up because they're able to... To send that. And then the second thing that they've recently come out with is they're really forcing price transparency. And they're saying out of the gate, it's a couple hundred procedures, but telling health systems, they're telling health plans, get on it. We've heard you, but we're going to start to share prices with consumers because they have faith in consumers and said, listen, if we can share the information in the right way, we think that people will shop. And, you know, I know that maybe I'm a little bit of an outlier, but I went for uh, a test and I said, look, I have a high deductible. So I'm going to need to know what this is going to cost. And um, they told me it'd be $6,000. And I said, $6,000 to run on your treadmill? Are you basically kidding me? So I said, I don't want the test. (laughs) And they didn't know what to do with me. So I I came back, I did my homework and I went to another hospital and paid $3,500 for the same test, right? And that was huge. It was a $2,500 Saving, So I think if we can start to provide the tools to people and we really hold all the partners in the health ecosystem, their feet to the, the fire to make sure this is simple and easy and we're not gaming consumer, consumers or making it, it hard. I think that transparency, that interoperability will really go a long way to not just empowering consumers, but avoiding some of that duplication, right? You go from one place to another and they don't see that you have an MRI and they send you down for another one. Well, that's
0: thousands of dollars, so I think that's those people right. really, really start to move the needle. Yeah, that's something that I'm really passionate about as a as a marketer and a writer. You know, how do we explain things in a way that's easy to understand? There's no reason why we have to use complicated language to tell you how your claim was paid. So that's something we're definitely going to be doing here, and and something that. Um, you know is baked into the plan design umbrella, um, which is which is wind at our back in terms of being transparent and clear with folks because um, I know in major medical and uh, you know there is just so much complexity baked into that in terms of the procedures and the benefit structure. So in that sense, we're really fortunate to have a really simple benefit and then also apply some intention and creativity around making that easy to understand. Um, hopefully that makes a big difference. And that was one of the things
2: that excited me about becoming a board member when Veer explained the concept that, okay, we're going to actually pay out more frequently in lower dollar amounts, but we're actually going to pay out for services people use. So that's that's brilliant because that's the big challenge with voluntary benefits today. These great payouts look good, but when your kid falls out of the tree and breaks their arm, it's not coming. I mean, I'm making that up, but that's basically how consumers feel. I buy this policy, yet I go to use it and I can't use it. This isn't covered. That isn't covered. It's this rare disease. It's, it's this. It's unusual in frequency. So the fact that you're actually paying out on tens of thousands of diagnosis codes, but in smaller amounts, is exactly what people need.
1: Yeah, we talk about sort of that rebalancing or recalibration of benefits, right, to align What Brella pays out more closely to what an employee's true out of pocket exposure is. But in doing so, you're right, you may remove some of the high end payouts, but you're covering so much more, right? And it's the so much more that causes challenges for for employees today. And, you know, Laura, I was sort of on that same track with you around, you know, just the focus on the consumer here at Brella. So as, you know, Beth was going through her comments, I, I really did love the focus on on the consumer there and, and the need for engagement and transparency and, and simplicity and meeting employees where they are. You know, obviously they're the most important stakeholder in this discussion, right? But there's also the employer and their benefits broker and consultant when you think about our space. And I'm curious, you know, Beth, what are some of the things that you think brokers and employers should be thinking about? I th- I think. We
2: all get really busy in our day-to-day jobs. And as a result, sometimes we don't step back and do a couple things. Um, number one, it's, it's starting to look and say, what's changing out there? What's on the horizon? And, and how do I need to start thinking differently as a broker? When I think about uh, diversity of populations, for example, how do we start to think about different benefits that are really tied into those, those populations? How do we think about the needs changing now because of COVID, right? Everybody's world has been upended. So many people, we may say, wait a minute, maybe we should really be thinking a little bit differently about behavioral health because there's a lot of need for behavioral health services right now. So that's number one, really looking and seeing what's what's out there. And then number two, being willing to embrace that change. Um, I think you said bold earlier, and one of you mm-hmm. did. And uh, I love that because I think it it, it is bold to be able to take an action that your peers are not taking. It's sometimes a little easier to sell against what somebody else has because your client is familiar with it. It takes more work to sell against something that is different, that is bold, that requires some explanation. So I would really strongly suggest that embracing change is just really, really important as you see the horizon changing
1: yeah that that's a that's a really great point. And you know we've we've had the luxury I've had the luxury of talking to you know literally hundreds of brokers over the last several months as we've launched in Texas. And you know one of the things I'm most encouraged about is how brokers are looking for ways to be different and willing to sort of embrace you know some of these new products or services, especially ours, right? Because we're just so drastically different than what's what's out there today. And immediately, how their minds get turning around how we can help them solve their biggest challenge with their employer client. So that that really resonates with me, and and I think um, the broker space is as hyper competitive as ever. And I think those that are smart are looking for an edge and looking for something to be different. And and just so happens to be a product that really is solving a major pain point today, which has the uh, the luxury of being um, very helpful. So yeah, great thoughts.
2: I agree, hundred percent. I've had the opportunity. My prior employer to work some really top-notch brokers, many of whom you, you know, Mike, and they do want the edge and they will take the time. So I agree with you. That's
0: awesome. So on your podcast, you are talking to a whole bunch of business leaders and experts, and they're bringing so much in terms of career and leadership insights. I'm wondering if you can share with us a couple of really impactful pieces of, of wisdom that you've learned from your guests. Yeah, I've
2: been really fortunate that I've been able to attract some really high quality guests and just could listen to each of them for hours and hours and hours. Again, whether they're young in their career or whether they're a seasoned executive, I think a couple things is what I've heard. Number one is to be intellectually curious. You have to be a lifelong learner if you're going to succeed at anything, not just climbing the corporate ladder, but if you love what you do and you want to stay at what you're doing, you still have to continue to evolve and grow. So that is really, really important. The second thing is to take chances because it's people, what is it, fortune favors the brave? It's people that take chances that raise their hand or that make it known that they're willing to take on a new role or some additional responsibility, they quickly become the go-to individual. And I think that's really, really critical for individuals to do, to really take chances. Oftentimes, they, I'll speak to younger professionals, and maybe they have little kids, and sometimes it's men, sometimes it's women, and they'll say, well, you know, I'll maybe look at, at applying for a promotion five or six years from now. And I'd say, five or six years now, <laughs> the promotion is not going to be there. There's going to be somebody 10 years younger you in that world. What are you you talking about? And, you know, they they say, well, you know, I'm I'm a little worried. Can I handle it all? And, you know, that's when I jump in and say, of course you can handle it all. And here's how you can do that, right? But the idea is take the chance. You're already taking yourself out of the game before you even know what the job really entails, right? So I think that having that intellectual curiosity mindset, I love people with intellectual curiosity. I people would come from throughout my company. They were either on my, on my team or not on my team. I would get a book a week sent to me. I mean, I would get articles to read and I literally, Sunday was my, my reading day. Um, and I was so appreciative that people took the time to share with me because I said, I had this like 10,000 editors out there working for me, telling me what I need to, what I need to read. Great. I appreciated that so much but what I loved is these people were intellectually curious and and for me as a leader you know these were people that came to top of mind when it was a new project or a new committee or a new initiative whatever whatever it is so have that intellectual curiosity and don't take yourself out of the game just go and see you know what the promotions all about and don't automatically assume that it'll be too much for you to handle
0: yeah that Hello. is great advice
1: <laughs> yeah i agree laura and i and i think it's it makes sense right but i think you can sometimes lose track of that and it's you know these are always just terrific reminders of um uh, you know of uh actions that that could certainly help and and, and make a difference and, and be impactful so uh beth we uh always want to try to leave our listeners with something practical that they can act on after our episodes now i think take chances is one um But is is there a book or a resource that maybe has had an impact on you that as a professional or or as a person that you would recommend?
2: There is. And I'm going to be greedy and say I have actually two. (laughs) So the first one from a pure (laughs) professional standpoint is a book called Competing Against Luck. And it's by the late professor Clay Christensen, a really well-known professor out of Harvard. He wrote The Innovator's Dilemma. You've probably all heard of that that book. And um, he wrote a book called Competing Against Luck. He only like uses that phrase, I think, once in the book. So I don't know why he named it that. But what it really is about is it says, listen, what you have to focus on is what job is the consumer hiring you for? And what progress are they trying to make in their life? So if you think about, do I really want a quarter inch drill bit? Or do I want a hole? Right. Well, I want the hole because I bought a picture. I want to hang the picture, right? So my spouse will stop nagging me, what, whatever it is. And he really lays out this very simple theory that you just really have to understand what progress people are trying to make in their lives. And when I read that, I went, oh my gosh, this is so simple. This is so straightforward because it's not about what are my wants and needs. It's what progress am I really trying to make? What's my goal, right? And so it causes you to really reframe your questions when you're conducting interviews and participating in in research, um, and even when you're working with your team of employees. So it's called Competing Against Luck with Professor Clay Christensen. And then the second thing is just from a personal standpoint, because I just love to learn and I love to read about everything. I mean, I just started picking up uh, Endurance, which is about Ernest Shackleton's um, expedition in, in Antarctica in, um, what, 1915, 1914 to 1916. But that's actually not the book. <laughs> the book is called Smarter My Sunday. It's probably 10 years old by now. Um, and it was from the New York Times. And what I loved about it, is it's just, it's it's designed for you to read like um, uh, a chapter or two every weekend. So it takes you for through a full year. And um, it talks about everything from art to history and military, to literature, to science. I mean, it's just, it's just—it's a reminder of things that maybe you learned in college and forgot and things that you didn't learn because we don't always have the opportunity to learn everything when we uh, continue to pursue our education. So it was just very simple. You know, they're, the, the, the writers are obviously journalists. So I think journalists just are lovely writers because they can really spin a yarn. If you will. And you just capture it and and read it in bite sized pieces. Now, it didn't take me a year to read it because I'm a pretty fast reader. But boy, it was really great to just curl up on the couch and, and read that book. And it just really appeals to my intellectual curiosity. And I think that's really important. I always tell people listen, intellectual curiosity is really important, but don't just look inside your industry, don't just read business books. You want to be a well-balanced individual. So you really want to know about what's going on in the world around you. And so don't just focus on your immediate um, job or your immediate industry. And Smarter by Sunday, really, everything from the, the Greeks to, <laughs> to uh, current day science is just a really fun read.
0: I love that. I love that so much. We, we talk about cross pollination here and how much, you know, the industry experts and then the people who have experience outside the industry on our team are constantly pulling in really interesting ideas. And I know as a marketer, I learned so much from other brands that are in other lanes doing different things. So that's great. The, I have one more question that is a pop up question, if you don't mind, because um, I read your book and I know how efficient you are and um, thoughtful you are about your time and how you set up your life so that you can focus on the things that are important to you. And I'm wondering if you could just share a couple of tips about, you know, let's say I'm like, yeah, I want to foster that intellectual um, curiosity and investing in in my mind. um, But I have kids, we're in COVID, they're learning from home, I'm working. How do I make time to prioritize that? I, just, yeah, I, have I know that you little, have an answer. <laughs> I have a little
2: acronym <laughs> here. DDO, Ditch, Delegate, and Outsource. So what I really had to do is I'm, a, I'm the type of person that I will meet anybody's expectations. So my boss asked me for something. He or she would never have to ask me again, right? But I never took time for myself. But anybody in my family, work, friends, they got whatever they needed, but I, I never took time for myself. So what I had to do was step back and really look at what I was uh, doing and I started doing that luckily um uh young enough but still had a lot of work to be able to to do and so the first thing is what do I need to ditch so what do I need to stop doing um as an example when I was first promoted to segment president uh, my husband said to me you know we have somebody cleaning our house what else are you going to have them pick up because you're going to get busier I said oh you're right and so they started washing clothes right um and, and so, you know, that's a, a, that's, that was something that it was kind of like, I, I don't need to get... You know, your kids don't care if you wash the clothes, right? So that was something actually this that's an, an outsource. Um, ditching, a, an example is, we all get invited to a lot of things. And I had to learn how to say no. Because I would I'm a friendly person. I like meeting new people. But I realized, especially when our son was still in school, we made a pledge as a family that we wanted to spend as much time together as possible because we knew or hoped someday he would actually be the (laughs) nest, which he has and hasn't rebounded. Um, So we just said, look, we're going to be very cautious about accepting all these dinner party invitations and things like that. And we really just said, we have this really close group of friends and we're going to limit it to that. And we're not really going to go broadly. Well now you know he's out on his own. He actually just got married, and it's kind of so we have the freedom now to make as many new friends as we want. So that was a really good example of of uh, ditching. And then the last thing would be delegating. Is um, we have a tendency to do it all, and I'll probably stereotype a little here, but I think some of your listeners, some of your female listeners, are going to be able to relate to this. Um, oftentimes we say, "Oh, it's just easier if I'll do it myself." Well, guess what? If you're a spouse, and this applies to to, to both. Um, uh, parties. But if if you ask your spouse to do something, and then you go in and you redo it, they are they going to stop doing it? Because you're just sending this message that what you did is not good enough. Take me, for example. This is a habit I've not broken. But when I go to the grocery store with my husband, I reorganize the cart every time. I cannot help myself. But there are many other things that I stopped doing. So he's very generous about that. So that's, that's an example. Look, delegate some things. You know, if you have a cleaning person, the yeah. biggest annoyance out of the gate is they never put anything back where you, where you put it, right? Some of us think they did right. it on purpose. Get over it. Because guess what? Eventually it'll get to a place where you're, where you're okay. So I like to think of ditching, delegating, and, and outsource. And, and, and then instead, what I do is I reserve my time for things that give me meaning. You think about the term return on investment, I say return on meaning. So that gives me the time to be able to read on Sundays. When our son was younger, that gave me the time to be able to spend with him and my husband. I used to travel all week, gone all week. But when I was home, that gave me time to focus on my, my husband, our son, when he was still living with us. And that was what was really important. Not scrubbing the toilet bowl, not doing yet another load of laundry. So that's what I really had to, had to learn was to, how to really substitute that time and just say, it's okay that I don't do this. You know, my son never had a homemade Halloween costume. My nephews, my sister was great. And it was kind of like, if he ever had one, it was because it was a hand-me-down. Because I was the mother that was running at six o'clock Halloween night in the back of the drugstore trying to figure out what costumes were left available, right? Didn't matter. <laughs> right. All the kid wanted was a candy to be able to dress up. So that's what I would say. Really think about what really matters to you because it is true what they say. Time flies by very quickly. Your kids are mm-hmm. grown. You yourself get older. And um, I'd like to think that at least along the way, I made some good choices in that respect.
0: That's wonderful. I appreciate that because it's, it's one thing to say, yes, I'm going to be wise and read all of these books and do all of these things. But, but it's another thing to actually put yourself in a position to be able to follow through on that. And I think that applies in our, in our personal lives and in, in business as well you know, if you want to be successful and you want to try new things and take things on, you got to put yourself in a position to be intellectually curious about your industry, learning about new products, and and organizing your schedule in a way that al- that allows for time for that. So yeah. so I think that's, that is a really great point. Spot um, on. Beth, thank you so much for your time today. It was wonderful. To, I mean, we, we speak to you at least once a month, I feel like. But we don't always get to dig into topics like this, so really appreciate your time. I have
2: really enjoyed being here with both of you, so thank you for inviting me.
0: You're welcome. Well, so Mike, you know, we covered a lot in this episode, and I wonder if you can recap for us a couple of things that you really want our employers and brokers and our audience to be thinking about.
1: Yeah, for sure, and and again, I'll, I also extend a, a, a huge thanks to uh, to Beth. You know, it's great to get some of those reminders, and it's it's always good to remember that they're not necessarily rocket science, right? They just require some intentional focus um, mm-hmm. to keeping it front and center, and and I just love that. You know, and I think we uh, we can certainly all benefit from that. You know, there was a lot of really good stuff um, in in Beth's comments. You know, a couple of things really stood out to me, and we touched on it earlier, but it's this focus on the consumer, right? And and I think what Beth said early on was when she was looking at some of her uh, potential board work and, and the focus on the startups, that clicked for me, right? Because I think as startups, we have the ability to truly get focused in on the customer at levels than maybe some other companies who are, who are dealing with other complexities organizationally, uh, other priorities, it, it may be a little bit harder, right? So that really resonated for me, at least, that um the consumer focus is very important um meeting employees or consumers where they are making it easy making it simple uh, being transparent um again basic stuff but but uh, it's it's just such a good reminder as to how important the consumer really is and the other item that sort of stood out was um being willing to be different and embracing change and and finding that edge especially if you're you're a broker partner or or even an employer who's thinking about uh, you know your uh, your challenges in in meeting the needs of employees as consumers. So uh, again, really love the comments there around uh, around that. Laura, how about you? Anything stand out?
0: Well, I love what Beth emphasized about transparency and about explaining things clearly to the consumer. One of the things, and this is maybe just my own personal pet peeve, but one of the things that bugs me so much about notifications that come from insurance companies is when they say this is not a bill because you should know that it's not a bill (laughs) it's supposed to be an explanation of your benefits and so you know i i'm just putting a stake in the ground so long as i am around we will never say this is not a bill we will explain your benefits because that's our job you should know how the plan is working for you and so that that's just you know, one of those things that maybe that's a bold move, maybe it's just super obvious, but that's the kind of thing that I think about when I think about um, taking some chances and being willing to do some things differently. So, so that's one, and then, and then this this last piece, you know, really is is so powerful. This idea of orienting your time around your priorities and using her formula of ditch, delegate, and outsource in order to take some things off your plate. I think so often it's this badge of honor to be so busy and that's equated with being so important. But actually we're running ourselves into the ground with stress and that's bad for our organizations. It's bad for our bodies. It's bad for our relationships. And um, I know that's something that I'm personally going to be working on both at, at home and at work
1: yeah agreed. It's really a great uh, a great reminder as well. I love it. And you know, the other thing I'll say too, just I guess in closing on the on the key takeaways topic is I'll put the the selfish Brella hat on for a second. But just you know, Beth's endorsement of what we're doing and our mission here at Brella, you know, especially coming from someone who has seen the market from a number of different angles uh, and has such great perspective and in industry experience you know it it, it uh, i know it means a lot to our team when when someone who has that uh experience can can sort of validate the good work that our team is doing day in and day out so i uh, really did appreciate uh, her thoughts around around our mission so i think that uh is a wrap here laura anything else on uh, on your mind before um we give it a close
0: no i think that's i think we've got it
1: okay well, I would just say, if any of this discussion resonated with uh, with you and, and you'd like to get involved or learn more, certainly email us or uh, email me at uh, mike at joinbrella or sales at joinbrella.com. And um, as a reminder, we're working with brokers today in Texas and they're Texas-based uh, employers, obviously, as we sort of get closer here to the, to the end of the year, but um, even on off-cycle type Opportunity. So don't wait until your next benefit cycle to uh, holler at us and and, uh, get your team the coverage that they need. Um, We are uh, anxiously waiting to uh, get a chance to meet you.
0: That's awesome. And also, add go ahead and visit joinbrella.com slash podcast for the show notes from today's episode. We'll share the links to the books that Beth mentioned, as well as her podcast, her book. So you can just take a look at all that goodness. So that's a wrap on episode number two. Visit joinbrella.com slash podcast for notes from today's show. And if you liked the episode, share it with a colleague. This helps us spread the word. Be sure to subscribe or follow in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss our next episode. And that's a wrap. This is Laura Cave and Mike Zorillo from the Better Benefits Podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great week.